Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute senior fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Okay, I had insomnia last night, and so I was in that weird state at like 5 o'clock in the morning where my brain is bouncing all over the place. And so I need to make a reference to get it out of my head that will be a reference that will be meaningful to everybody around my age, around the age of 60, who grew up in New York around WPIX Channel 11. That Because it was a commercial for the reruns of the show F Troop on Channel 11, and they showed Larry Storch, who played Corporal Agarn, in a, playing a dual role on one episode where he is a Russian guy who shows up at this post-Civil War fort uh, in the you know in the boondocks, and he points in the air and says, "It is balloon." So the phrase "It is balloon" has some meaning to people my age who grew up in New York. And I know there are actually quite a lot of listeners who are kind of fit that category. I had to get that out because I can't get this. It's like an, it's like an, you know, an ear, you know, an earworm. I can't get the, it is balloon thing out of my head ever since reading about the Chinese balloon that is hovering over Montana. There's, it seems preposterous that there is a national security crisis involving a Chinese balloon hovering over Montana that is so big, apparently, that when the Pentagon discussed shooting it down, they were worried that shooting it down would cause debris that would hurt people. Now, I've been in a hot air balloon. It's not that big. I, I mean, and I have actually was in a hot air balloon in Idaho once. That's my one claim to balloon fame so this is like a very big balloon apparently but and do you think that i don't want to make light of it because obviously this is a crisis they wouldn't have met gone public with it if it weren't some kind of a crisis so but i had to get that out of my head and i apologize for being silly and stupid at the top of the podcast it is balloon when i when I heard the 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 debris line, I'm, I was very skeptical. I, I to me, it sounded like a very bad um, sort of reason to 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 not shoot it down. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I can't you like that. set it on? Can't you like set it on fire? It's a balloon, right? So somehow, if you hit it with something that was incendiary, wouldn't well, it like burn the? Yeah, balloon? but unless they want to see what the payload is, like unless they want actually okay. to, ideally, you capture this and you you examine what it is they've been that they've been doing with this because it might not even. I mean, there's there's also some rumor that the like it came over from Canada and there might have been others. I mean, how is the? But the idea that the, I mean, we were on our text thread and, and Noah totally captured. He's like, this is some Cold War stuff, like. You might not have said I think stuff, I used but... a different word. Yeah. <laughs> but he's totally right. Like, had this happened in 1985, I think we'd be having a very different conversation. 1955. <laughs> okay. What's the, what's the intelligence value from a high right. altitude balloon that you can't get from an orbiting satellite? What? I think... There must be what something. I, I can't even imagine. Maybe and they're you definitely dropping wouldn't in... want to shoot it down. Right. You. It's, it's a good thing to have surveillance. You actually kind of want to be surveilled. It makes everybody oh. calmer. Oh. Well, that's an interesting... 
that's an interesting theory. I you don't think want, it's activated. This is how we you don't want to be surveilled world. if you're making hypersonic planes somewhere in a field. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. that's now that's the big question the is what to... what exactly does this do that satellites don't? Well, okay. It's in our airspace for what? And they're a hostile foreign power. So that's where I get off. Well, it's cheaper, apparently. It is cheaper. Yeah. Okay. So, so again, using my extensive balloon knowledge that I got from the one time that I was in a hot air balloon, this is why this starts again. I'm making light of it. We're leading the podcast off with it. And the Biden administration is acting like this is some kind of national security crisis. But Supposedly, the thing about the hot air balloon, when you're in the hot air balloon, is that um, you can't navigate it. You can't navigate a hot air balloon. You basically can raise it and lower it, and you need, but it does. You can't like say, "Let's go over there with the hot air balloon." Wind controls the hot air balloons. That's why the there, you know, there's the Ian McEwan novel where the kid ends up going into the sky in a balloon and die because they can't bring it down, whatever. There's a whole, it's a whole thing with the balloon. So this is a balloon. Is it a Zeppelin? Maybe it's a Zeppelin. Like, you know what I mean? Like Zeppelins were basically balloons with motors. I, I don't understand how big it is. I don't know what they're talking about. Is it like the size of the craft that like hovered over <laughs> the White House in Independence Day? You've seen pictures of it, haven't you? I haven't. Are there pictures? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was busy. I was too busy thinking about Larry balloon. Storch. It looks like look a satellite with a balloon yeah, on it. Exactly. Okay, hold it's on. Got... Let me go look at it. Okay. It's got uh, really, solar panels. I am. I'm really bringing the level of this podcast down today. There's just <laughs> like, no question. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make you look um, much better because here's okay. my theory. Here's my approach. Yeah. Guided toward the space needle. pop the balloon (laughs) Uh, okay well okay so hold on chinese balloon stock photos all right i'm not i'm gonna oh come on stock photos it's an nbc news this thing i'm looking at it how big first of all you can't tell how big it is because you don't because you don't there's nothing there's there's nothing that gives you a perspective on its size because it's just this shot of it in the air. Okay, but there's there's this weird thing. So ABC News has this report about it, right? There's some really strangely conflicting information. So they're saying we know it's from China. We we are confident the the defense a defense department official says we know it's from China. We don't think it poses a a uh, military or domestic risk, but and it's happened before. Like this is very strange. Like this but they said the reason that this is notable is that it's quote appearing to hang out for a longer period of time this time around it's very strange and don't isn't blinken supposed to go to china next week well i think Um, that's clearly why they released first there are two possibilities or three right one of them is that it leaked that that they had this national security meeting about this balloon right on wednesday mm -hmm. uh the second is that it was leaked deliberately to give a blinken as a kind of accelerant to Blinken going to China and having a kind of hostile meeting with China about things that it would this was not going to be a happy talk thing they were going to go and say okay we're you know we're going to try to put you on your on your back foot and be on the defensive when we're coming because we know you've been you've been uh, violating our airspace so you know every time you say we can't do things because we're you know we're endangering your sovereignty you know go jump in a lake because you're invading our sovereignty and da 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 da. Or 
I don't know. There was a third, but I now I can't remember. Well, they might actually be actively surveying information. I mean, that that area of the country, it clear it seems the balloon did have a particular path. And over that path are places where we have some top secret military bases where we're developing technology. I mean, yeah. it, it's and and the one of the other weird things about the ABC News story is that they're like the the Defense Department official says we we took immediate action to protect the collection of sensitive information, meaning whatever they were they had out in the open, they rolled inside pretty quickly. Yeah. So that is disturbing. That is the Cold War stuff that that Noah was suggesting earlier. I don't okay. understand any of this. China has a fleet of reconnaissance satellites in orbit over the United States with high high resolution imaging. They you can get that from space. You don't need a balloon. Well, they must need it for something. Right. Or maybe or maybe it's just a sign that look what we can do and get away with. I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of theories you could posit. I, I mean, that I, is I the actually, most compelling theory, honestly, yeah. is that maybe it's, it's just perimeter testing. Maybe yeah. they're maybe their high recon satellites don't have the best lens. Maybe actually they don't have satellites. We get all our high image res- resolution cameras from China. Well, I can't. Uh, we, that <laughs> doesn't mean that we don't make our own optics for our for those satellites that that you can read a license plate from space on let's just be clear like we have we have a defense industry in the united states that makes stuff that is science fictional that we don't know about that we don't import from china nonetheless obviously there is something really spectacularly strange about the fact that they went public with this but I also find it spectacularly strange that we haven't we're not shooting it down. I don't understand why they're getting away with it. I mean, this is unmanned. Um, what 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 sort of it's, and it's right over our, it's right over uh, uh, the continental U.S. What, what how would how would it be at all provocative for us to just to just knock the thing out of the sky? Yeah, that is weird. It depends I agree. on what assets we it. have over China ourselves and whether we expect reciprocity. Well, that's that's one obvious that's one obvious possibility. And the well, other that... is that we want them to know that we know what they're doing. Now, maybe they I think they, they want should us know to know that, that we know. They know. Yeah, exactly. We all know. Everybody knows. But maybe not. Maybe we maybe they we don't know and they don't know. You know, there was this whole thing months ago about whether or not these when they released that weird UFO report where they said there were these, you know, 170 incidents of UFOs that were, um, that were inexplicable based on current technological knowledge. Again, could have been, who knows if that was even true, who knows whether NASA knows what the Pentagon does, you know, whatever. But, but there was that argument that what we were seeing there potentially was, uh, Chinese craft that had lapped us in our, you know, in our technological development, that they had created hypersonic craft that could not lose altitude or speed, but they were doing, I I mean, I, I don't even understand any of that, but, but that there was that like fear, you remember that fear? So this could be some version of don't think we don't know what you're doing. Like we're, we know more about what you're doing than you think, you know, we're doing it. If we know about this balloon, we'll know about other stuff. Or the Canadians told us that they saw the balloon and we know about the balloon. And then we were forced to kind of go public with the balloon 
so that the Canadians would be, you know, wouldn't know that we knew. I the other the other thing we haven't posited, which is also could be plausible, is that this was something that wasn't intended to reach us. Like that the Chinese launched this thing and it went off course, and it's not because it, it it's actually a balloon, an and you right. can't and you can't right. guide a balloon. It's very hard to guide a balloon. Right. As so they it could told be me. an accident. And, yes. It actually could just be an accident. I mean, when I think about some of the Chinese manufactured products I've had in my home that have like blown up or melted, like perhaps it's just bad yeah. engineering, but. I don't know. Seems unlikely. Uh, and also, maybe we don't want to shoot down or capture the balloon because actually we've done it before. Maybe we have a balloon in custody. Maybe we've already had one. Um, I'm sure we do. But so what? I, I don't mean, know. You don't want to escalate. But that's not escalate. On the ba- you don't oh, want to. Yeah, no, 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 no. It escalates in this sense. If Christine's right and it was a mistake, and we don't know whether it was a mistake or not, you don't want to start a shoot, you know, like shooting Chinese aircraft down when you don't need to. Now, maybe like, you think you need to, but maybe, as I say, maybe we've already, we, maybe we already know everything about what the Chinese are doing with their balloons, and we don't need to ha- get this balloon to study it. And There's if you another... assume that they have set reconnaissance satellites in space that can see everything this balloon can see. Why would you? There's another weird aspect to this story. Um, the Canadians made some reference to uh, preventing a second incident. It was very yes. unclear. I don't know what they're. T- I don't mm-hmm. know if they were just referring to um, the existence of the balloon itself as the first incident, um, or what 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 would lead them to uh, speculate about a second quote incident. I don't. I have no idea what that was was in reference to. This is one of the stranger stories. I mean, I think there's 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 more to it than than we know. Well, there's more to it than we know, and we can't will not be able to trust whatever account we get that mm-hmm. explains it, and we shouldn't. You know, this is a this is a war this is a subject that it is better for the public not to know about. In this, not not that I don't believe in you know uh, transparency and all of that, but um. What we have and what they have, um, this is the most important issue in the world in geo, you know, geopolitics and military development. And um, I'm going to assume that we have more than we know. That's why I think that the whole UFO release thing was bizarrely disingenuous and might have had purposeful disinformation in it and that they might have less than we than we think um and either way there no, no good comes of the public's knowledge except to the extent that if we really need the public or over time to be uh, concerned about Chinese belligerence and um, and territorial interest, territorial expansion, and challenging us, you know, as as a as a superpower. Maybe it's better that people know, you know, that they're <clears throat> they are testing and taunting and testing these uh, boundaries. But um, but yeah, it's it's this is this is some weird weird stuff. Uh, okay. So I think we've probably exhausted that, that topic. Um, it's not that I 
enjoyed so much watching Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar literally have temper tantrums on the floor of the House of Representatives yesterday that I am extraordinarily uh, pleased and satisfied with the decision of Kevin McCarthy, uh, the House Speaker, removing um, Ilhan Omar from the uh, from a position on the House Foreign Relations Committee. But it helped. Certainly, it was like lanyap. It was like a like nice dollop of whipped cream on top of a on top of a very satisfying uh, political decision. <clears throat> um, it had a weird quality. I want to. That's why I'm doing this backwards, talking about them, which is the squad, very controversial in theory, has never been held to account for anything ever. Any of them, they are they are uh, excused in the press. They are lionized in the press. They are they are given Vogue covers and magazine covers <clears throat> and TikTok support and all of that. And they say whatever they want and they do whatever they want and they are not held accountable for their actions nor by their own constituents. And the temper tantrum, which is the only way to describe the scene that AOC pulled on the floor of the house, um, is like a kid getting into trouble at school with incredibly lenient parents who have never, you know, who have never taken their Nintendo switch away. And the outrage that greeted, it's like, you can't treat us like this. We get to do whatever we want and you can't say anything because you suck is um, part and parcel of why Ilhan Omar needs to be removed from the House Foreign Relations Committee and doesn't just involve her reprehensible and vile anti-Semitism that was not for which she was not held to account by the Democrats in 2019 when they could have done so. So I'm backing into this, but we should now talk about taking people off committees and precedents thereto and what it is that she did that makes this um, an acceptable act of political uh, discipline by the Republicans. Okay, I'll do it. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> briefly, the, I mean, the, the reaction is, has been so delightful. Uh, my favorite has been Peter Beinart, who ran to her defense in the New York Times, lamenting the voice that we've lost on the Foreign Affairs Committee. One of the examples he gives um, to demonstrate you know, his appreciation for, for her work is during a hearing on China's abuses of its Uyghur population, Omar used her time to erect a moral equivalency between what China is doing, a violent, brutal campaign of ethnic cleansing in an entire province, and the United States, which took 22 Uyghur Uyghurs off the battlefield and put them in Guantanamo Bay, legally and with congressional authorization. The kind of dubious moral equivalency is the sort of thing that we're losing here. Oh, you know, the tragedy of it. But otherwise, Democrats are making two arguments. This is unprecedented, and Demo and Omar's being singled out because of her skin color and religion, both of which are absolute trash. Um, the precedent was established by Nancy Pelosi when she decided that the majority was going to strip a major the minority party of its committee assignments for Green and Gosar, who behaved indecorously. Okay, well, but, you have but, to say when that when that was. And 
Uh, that was in the beginning of the 117th Congress. Middle Which of the would have been 2020, 2021, 2021, I think. Yeah, I'm assuming. And <clears throat> when there was this effort to remove um, Swalwell, Omar and um, Adam Schiff from committees, there were some members of the Republican Party who were anxious about it. And I'm a little anxious about the, the Adam Schiff because I think, you know, grandstanding is not something that you can punish in this direct in this way. But nevertheless, it's not an argument that I'm going to win. But even though the Republicans who were squeamish about this, um, like Victoria Spatz said, look, these were unprecedented actions that Nancy Pelosi took and precedents beget precedents. Even, you know, the, the sainted Liz Cheney said Democrats are going to regret it when Republicans regain the majority. They will do this to you. And they did. And uh, Greg Meeks. Uh, Representative Greg makes said it's got to be religion. The only reason they're punishing her is because of her religion. They would never do this to one of their own. Well, they did in 2018 or early 2019 um, leadership, House Republican minority leadership ejected Steve King from all of his committee assignments. Why? Belatedly, perhaps. But because of his repeated racist statements, the one that broke the camel's back was he sort of pondered aloud why white supremacy is considered a slur. Um, Republicans had no more leg. They had, they had no more ambiguity about whether or not this guy's bigotry would find its way into his policy preferences and the conduct of American affairs. Likewise, we have no reason to believe that Omar, after her third anti-Semitism scandal, stumbling across every anti-Semitic trope in history, just accidentally, would make its way into her policy preferences. Indeed, she's unashamedly advertised her intention to apply her worldview to the conduct of foreign affairs. It is both precedented and justified. And the precedent was established by Democrats. So what do they have to, to do? The only thing they can do is make very loud noises and gesture frantically in order to distract you from the fact that they they set all this up. Even Hakeem Jeffries, minority leader, said, look, she's made some mistakes, but we punished her for it. We condemned those remarks. No, you didn't. Which they did not. Exactly. But in exactly. saying that, in lying to you about that, they confess that they know they should have. Right. No, see, this is an important point. And I will say there's plenty of hypocrisy to be had on the Republican side because Ms. Marjorie Sp Jewish Space Lasers Taylor Green is still got a position of, you know, she's obviously uh, put herself right into Kevin McCarthy's pocket. And, and she, too, has said things that should uh, justify taking her off of committees. And they are not disciplining her and they should. So there is that element of hypocrisy in, in some of the claims, but to the to the squad's behavior and to the fact that Pelosi, with a lot of urging, including inside her own caucus at the time, to really call out that anti the anti-Semitism of, of Elon Omar and her absolutely craven decision to do the moral equivalency thing, which Omar has repeatedly brought up as evidence of why she should never have been punished in the first place. She's like, well, we all, you know, all of these terrible things that people say about minorities, we're, we're all my, you know, all of us minorities are in this together is so, uh, so obviously dissembling and, and, and an excuse, as John said earlier, that a toddler would make when they've gotten away with stealing cookies from the cookie jar over and over again. <laughs> this is about all toddlers and yes. all over the world who want cookies. Well, right. So it's like, it doesn't matter if I stole it. Look at all of the other minorities. And we surely had a reason or, or we didn't know the cookies weren't free. I mean, she's always got an excuse. She's always got backing by the press for that excuse. But I do think, I don't know, I sense a bit of a... I, the people I talked to who saw the AOC, who herself is under investigation for ethics violations, we should add that that came out in December. Nobody, the story was told, and then nobody wants to investigate any further what's going on there. Her tantrum, and and there is no other word for how she behaved. Her performative outrage 
that's become the squad's brand. And I think starting to wear thin even in their own caucus. If you've ever listened to Elon Omar in a in a uh, committee hearing, and I have, because I, I, I didn't want to be unfair to her. She has no idea what she's talking about most of the time. She reads from a paper that a staff member clearly prepared for her. And this is not uncommon among you know House representatives. So she's not unusual in this regard. But the idea that she's some unique genius with, with a particular insight that's to be brought to bear to these hearings is ridiculous. She half the time bumbles through her prepared statement. And the question she asks have nothing to do with what's going on at the hearing. So, yeah, I mean, but I do, I hope that this outrage and the particularly the, oh, this is because she's a brown woman, that stuff, people are sick of that. That is not why she, people are sick of anti-Semitism too, or should be. So the idea that she's only being attacked because of her identity versus her behavior, no. I have to say, I, I love uh, John's uh, point about they're like the, the the spoiled kid that someone finally said no to. Um, but I do think in in uh, AOC's response, particularly particularly, there's a lot of theatrics there. Um, it it seemed very performative. Um, well, kids are performative when they when that's they, right. When, that's when, right. What I'm talking about that's, it's not just like that's a good point. Out, you know, actual honest outrage. There's manipulation involved there. But yeah, yeah. Um, the, so I'm wondering. There's there's been all this talk recently about. Uh, have we seen the the are are we fed up with Mavericks, right? Um, there seems to be this like uh the public has turned on um disrupt big disruptive uh bold figures, um, which I'm skeptical of. But uh if so, is this part of that? Like, you know, is is that is that part of why the the, the squad may 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 now have their 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 comeuppance or, well, or may, may now get, get their they get nothing done. I mean, Rashida Tlaib was up there weeping as well. Like they, their whole uh, MO is just the performance, right? And if you look at what they're actually doing in terms of legislation, anything, I mean, what Cory Bush sat on the steps of the, of the house of, of the Capitol, like, you know, protesting that rent was still having to be, would, would have to be paid by people again after the COVID emergency. I mean, it's all performance art and they are becoming kind of artists at it. it's performance art. And it doesn't bring any results. Now, their constituents <clears throat> seem to love it. Ilan Omar is, is I think, 100% representing the interest of her particular constituency. I think AOC is a little, oh, I don't. A little questionable. Well, her I think Her constituency that... as defined by her congressional district? Yes, yes. Oh, I don't, are... I don't think so. She's faced primary challenges before pretty substantial ones. And there's a lot of anxiety over how she conducts herself. Yeah, she's survived. Yeah. But, the, I mean, these, this is a pretty blue district to be getting that much you know, tension pushback. from the AOC doesn't get that. Right. Well, I, I do wonder if she, I mean, in terms of her anti-Semitism, there's, there's a, there's a pretty serious anti-Semitism problem in, in her constituency, which well, both is parties expressed have, have <laughs> terrible noxious elements. And there's an ideological component to a lot of their uh, various racially and, and ethnically hostile rhetoric when you hear it from both parties. The only reason Republicans get to do this is because they did the right thing to Steve King. That's it. That's the only that's the only backstop they have justifying this action. Which well, they have the... that you should. And it wasn't easy to do because they had ignored Steve King's obvious racial antagonism for so long. But doing the right thing late is better than doing the right thing. Never. And doing the right thing in the moment opens up this universe of possibilities for you to be able to actually, um, you know, punish, punish your opponents and have the moral authority to do it and do it from the high ground. So that's the moral question. Then you have the practical political question, which isn't really, you know, was, uh, I mean, 
the good working order of the political balance between the parties is not a an intellectual issue or anything that one really needs to concern oneself with except to describe what's going on. But there's an argument to be made that when when Nancy Pelosi stripped Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene of their committee assignments, the Republicans, when they got into the majority, had to respond in kind in some fashion or other to create the mutual assured destruction policy that would mean that every Congress, every time Congress switched, that people didn't spend weeks trying to figure out which members of the other party should be stripped of their committee assignments. So that, you know, like you just, you know, have an armistice on this stuff because it doesn't, if you do it, you kind of have to have a quid pro quo because it was so outrageous, even though look, Paul Gosar is a nobody has said more negative things about Paul Gosar than I have. And nobody has thought more negative things about Marjorie Taylor Greene than I have. But they are elected by their constituents. And this is the good working order. And, you know, you know, uh, I. So if you don't. You know, if the Republicans don't go tit for tat. The Democrats have a free hand to go after their bad apples, and Republicans are going to announce that they are they are you know unilaterally disarming when it comes to Democratic bad apples when they get in power. And the only way that you get a kind of settlement of this is to say we're just not going to do this anymore. We're just you know we're we're gonna we're gonna leave this alone, leave them to heaven. This is an issue for the voters of their districts. This is why. This whole conversation about George Santos that's going on now is so weird. Yes, George Santos is a pathological liar. Yes, he may have done, you know, there's investigations into him. Uh, no, the voters didn't, weren't told that he had lied about his mother and 9-11 and his name and, and the dog charity and all of that. It is not for the Congress of the United States to overturn the will of, of the voters of the district that brought George Santos into power. Now, if he's convicted of a crime or if he whatever, or you can say stuff because you think it would be better if he resigned to preserve the whatever little dignity the House of Representatives might have left. But that the Congress, the Congress is a club of 435. The House is a club of 435 people. They don't just get to say, no, I'm sorry, voters, we're we're gonna kick this guy out because he lied uh on his resume that's for you to do but that's two next different election issues. yes congress doesn't litigate character issues unless it's you know comes before a, a an indictment or a conviction but that's talking about censure that's talking about ejection not committee assignments committee assignments are a privilege it's not something that's conferred upon you when you take the oath of office it's a privilege of your leadership to assign you a committee post at all much less a really vaunted one like foreign affairs uh, that's a choice that leadership makes, and it's a courtesy, and it's something that you can lose. It's not up to the voters. Voters don't confer committee assignments upon you. Right. Committees aren't part of the constitutional structure. Yeah. Committees and things like that, these are all artifacts of... Democrats you know, the... chose to put Ilan Omar and her particular worldview on display on a very relevant committee to that particular worldview. George yes. Santos got space. Yeah. That's well, where there you are stick balloons. Somebody who there you are don't balloons want to in be. space. 
There are balloons in space. The high altitude community. George Santos saying this is balloon. I mean, okay, fair, fair enough. Uh, now to move on to uh, one final sort of very dark uh, or worrisome uh, story. Um, uh, Ukraine is trying to prepare the West uh, and themselves and everybody else for the fact that they might be seeing a massive. Uh, Russian uh, escalation or, you know, uh, offensive. Uh, we talked about some of this last week with with, with Fred Kagan, who was on this struggle uh, to maintain, hold and not let the Russians take the city of Bakhmut, which has become a kind of the epicenter of uh, not only Ukrainian resistance to Russian advances, but the some kind of Russian goal to show that they can actually prevail somewhere. We're almost at the one year point in this war. We're like, we're three, literally, I think like two and a half weeks from when the war started. And it's of course been an unmitigated disaster for them with the latest toll that uh, has been, you know, has been cited in the last 24 hours is that there have been 200,000 Russians killed or injured in Ukraine in a year. That That is like, those are like, World War One numbers, like one country suffering two hundred thousand casualties in a single year. We we haven't seen, at least you know, in the, in the, I mean, we don't really know. But I mean, that, we are that is pre-modern practically. Those are pre-modern battle. You know, Antietam plus Gettysburg plus every single, you know whatever in one you know 600,000 Americans died on both sides in the civil war uh this is one side we don't know what the ukrainian toll is and so they're now you know they 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 are amassing for this giant offensive that numbers and you can assume that there's some exaggeration here to scare everybody but you know that half a million people have been called up uh to basically serve as you know bodies to be thrown at the Ukrainian border. Um what do we I I'd be very skeptical of those numbers. I don't understand how Russia could just logistically mobilize that number of people. Their first mobilization wasn't that well, successful. Well they 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 empty out their pri- they they empty out the empty out I mean that's Siberia. what you have to do the and, that's, and they've already done that. You can only empty the prisons once. And a lot of people flee these kind of mobilization calls. A lot of Russians yeah. have left Russia. In order to evade mobilization. Yeah, what is it? Nine hundred thousand men. I think the number was that there have been nine hundred thousand, essentially like, get a letter, go eight, you know, run across a border, get on a train, do whatever you can to get out of the country. Almost a million people, and Russia is not, you know, isn't China. Like that's a lot of people. That's it's a. I think Russia's population is one hundred and forty-five million now. That's a that's a that's a that's a significant that's one fourteenth of the population of the of the country fled in a year. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Just not to say that they can't mobilize anybody, but a half a million just sounds like a very large number. So they have an interest in saying half a million to scare everybody, and Zelensky has an interest in saying half a million to scare everybody in reverse. Right? He wants to say, "Give me whatever I need." Half a million people are going to come across the border, and Russia is saying we have half a million people across the border. Watch out, you know, don't maybe hedge your bets on Zelensky and the Ukrainians because we're going to win this, and then you're going to have to come sue for peace with us. It's a kind of hail mary 
diplomatic, you know, rhetorical propaganda play, but it is a, some kind of rhetorical propaganda play. Um, but I, you know, uh, this all comes, by the way, as we are learning that Donald Trump has a secret plan to end the war in Ukraine. It worked for Nixon. But Nixon said it in like September, August or September of 1968, and the election was in November of 1968. I mean, we can uh, assume that they're sending people in Mar-a-Lago over to to uh, to Ukraine to blow up whatever peace talks are are happening now. Uh, perhaps. Um, do you guys think? Yeah. <clears throat> do you think the issue of our uh, lending Ukraine jets is is closed? No, or do you think it comes up again? You think, but it's when been coming up, it it has been coming up in the last week, and we're told yet again, as we were with the M1 Abrams tanks, that uh, Biden's like absolutely not. We right. are not okay. So the precedent of the Abrams tanks would suggest that when Biden says never in relation to the war in Ukraine, that he's not to be believed that, you know, that never could be six months away. It's the precedent established with long range artillery and HIMARS and Patriot missile high batteries. Mars, right. Every single, Everything every is single just too difficult to do until it's just not too difficult yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, the fear I mean, there is yeah. that they will use these uh, fixed wing aircraft to attack Russian targets inside Russia, which would be perfectly legitimate, by the way. Those are staging areas for the invasion of their own country. Nevertheless, seems unlikely to me just because it's not the best use of those platforms. What they need is air cover for counteroffensives on the ground in Ukraine. Well, look, 25 years ago, when 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 the Balkan, when, you know, the effort to sort of end the genocide in the Balkans uh, came about and the United States essentially got involved in the war in the Balkans only in the air we flew the planes it was a 48 day air campaign and we flew the planes um there are obviously logistical issues with simply handing over american fixed wing aircraft to ukrainian pilots we don't know if they're trained we don't know if they know how to fly them and we don't necessarily want those planes to get you know shot down <laughs> over over Russia and their, you know, and their and their telemetry and everything like that, you know, uh, you know, stolen uh, by by the Russian military. So there is this weird problem with escalation at the at the plane level, which is all things being equal, those craft should be flown by Americans who can make sure that they don't get shot down, among other things. And that would be a that would be us directly in a shooting war with russia so it, it's a more it's a more significant escalation. if we go to that if we go yeah. to that but if we but if we don't do that if we if we find some um uh way through as we've done with the tanks i mean the the, the there was a, it's a similar idea to, to the tanks that they that that uh, ukrainians wouldn't be able to use them um and and we didn't want to be there to train them um, if there's a go-between option, then it's not that. It just it it concerns me because before the invasion of Ukraine, the scariest prospect in the United States regarding the military was boots on the ground, boots on the ground, boots on the ground. No one's talking about boots on the ground. Now it's now it's scary to give weapons to to an ally that's been invaded. I think that's that's a, a um, I think we've lowered the bar here. 
I don't think anybody's I, talking I, about. It. I mean, the Ukrainians want F-16s, and some like, Dutch politicians are talking about F-16s. But I don't think that's on the table. I think what's on the table are MiG-29 fighters, which would be Ukrainians would be able to use those. Well, they already have MiG-29 fighters, as I as I as I see this. But that's not; those are Russian planes. So right, that's so it's not. This is where the problem with the Patriot from? air batteries. As they're saying, ah, oh, you know, you need Americans to use those, and we're not sending Americans to Ukraine. Yes. And all of a sudden, they figured out, well, we can ship Ukrainians to Oklahoma, and they can figure it out over there. Right. Again, so I'm looking just quickly at the you know Ukrainian Air Force. So the Ukrainian Air Force has 200 planes, and they're all Russian. They're all ex-Russian planes. I don't know how many pilots they have. We don't know what they've been doing. All of that. I don't know how long it takes to train somebody on an F-16 who's an experienced pilot another way, but it, this is not a lot of, this is not a large, there aren't a lot of people in Ukraine who would be in a position to learn how to fly an F-16 or whatever, fly these planes. A tank is a tank. I mean, I, I'm not saying that driving an M1 tank is easy. I have no idea how hard it is, but it is a road vehicle. There's a lot of stuff inside the tank that you want to learn how to use and press all those buttons that fire things and protect you and all that. But it is a road vehicle and a road vehicle is a road vehicle and a plane is a plane. And the, you know, like there's some world in which any of us could kind of drive a tank. We as I, we wouldn't be able to do 10,000 other things inside the tank, but none of us could fly a plane from a standing start. You know, I mean, and, certainly not fly a plane and shoot things down and do you know whatever so it's a it's a, a level of it's a, a level of uh engagement anyway but Zelensky is completely agreeing with the Soviet assessment of it's the danger that it poses to Ukraine because he needs the West to understand that you know at any given moment this you know the vic this victory is not now you know sort of get to these weird moments where things have gone great for a year in many ways I mean har it's horrible what's happened to Ukraine, which is being you know which whose infrastructure and cities and stuff are being decimated in this way, uh, but it's been an astonishing achievement. But yeah, it could be reversed. On the other hand, the Russians are going in. It's bizarre that they are eerily. They're going to go at Ukraine. And exactly. I know Fred Kagan said there's no war season anymore. And this is a terrible mistake. But the Russians went into Ukraine at the end of February in 2022. And the conditions on the ground were so horrible that they got mired and they were just in a shooting gallery for weeks, you know, on that road to Kiev. So they're coming in. They're coming in a different way, and maybe the ground will be harder, and their tanks won't get stuck in the mud or whatever. But I don't. I don't know. It's a. Uh, uh, it's like a little bit like the eternal return. It's like you know what? Now we're going to do it again. We're going to go in on the ground again with overwhelming force. Obviously, if you want to retard overwhelming force like that, if it's infantry, you want to do it from the air. That which is what they you know which is why the ukrainians are so head up on the on the planes but um uh just stay tuned because things things could get very dark again or or this russian advance could be a, a, a catastrophe and then russia really will be then then putin really is finds himself on the i mean this is what we want as, as horrible as that is to say because a lot of people are going to die but there's no other way to a negotiated settlement of this conflict. 
And that's what has to happen, unless you think right. that Russia ceases to exist in its present form or the Putin regime just, you know, raptures itself out of existence, which is would be lovely, but it's not a not a plan. Um, there has to be some sort of a negotiated settlement mm -hmm. and the negotiations will be around whatever advantages both sides assess of each other. And there's far too much fighting left to do to get anywhere near a negotiating table. Nobody knows at each other's capacities yet or where the where the battle lines could could stabilize the battlefield's too fluid so there's still a lot of fighting yet to be done before anybody sits down to talk and the sooner the better right i mean yeah because then you just have attrition and you have then th that's another weird world war one parallel which is that in the absence of offenses what you have is just people dying on a daily basis. With, and we talked about this with, no with Kagan. And yeah. a lot of American officials and Western officials and NATO officials are really afraid of a, of a trench warfare situation developing in and around the lines of contact now, yeah. which is why they're introducing all these fast-moving platforms. Yeah. APDs, tanks, tracked vehicles, half-tracked yeah. vehicles, all this stuff is supposed to prosecute a fast-moving conflict so it doesn't bog down into some sort yeah. of a trench warfare situation. Yeah. I mean, I do think, and Fred made this point again, Fred Kagan, this is last week uh, on our podcast, the uh, uh, head of the Institute for the Study of War, one of the officials of the Critical Threats Project, and uh, that um, uh, a lot of the conventional fear was Russia would open a second front against NATO, you know, would do this to punish, you know, to punish us, they would go into Estonia, they're going to Latvia, whatever. And um, I think it's important to note that part of the transition into the new world in which the West is getting more committed rather than less to just what Noah's talking about, you know, fast moving vehicles that can actually and fast moving platforms that can actually uh, tilt the balance toward the Ukrainians is less fear. You know, if the Russians are going to throw everything they have at the Ukrainian border, then NATO's not at risk in the next two years from and not only is NATO not at risk within the next two years but they're gonna they're gonna blow out all of their materiel reserves they're gonna blow out all of their personnel reserve they're they are they're exactly destroying their right. own military from within and that's what we want a lot of, you know the, right. the nationalist critique which I don't think is honest I think it's a disingenuous honest. you're talking about the oh. American nationalist critique, Correct. the NatCon critique the NatCon critique and the the weird horseshoe where both end fringes sort of meet in the middle um their critique is, well, we're, we're sending all this material and, and financial support to Ukraine at the expense of our of our efforts to to um, counteract Chinese uh, aggression and expansionism. And that's 100 percent not true because we have two fronts now that we have to worry about. You in in this a negotiated settlement in which Russia understands it has to cut its losses and has suffered dramatic uh, attrition to its its conventional forces where we're reasonably assured that they can't can't present a kind of threat that they present now to Europe. That's how you pivot. It's the only way you pivot. Back toward in the Obama China. administration, when they were trying to toward, pivot. Towards the pivot toward China. In toward other words, Asia, pivot toward, toward, the, toward Asia. So the idea that... The Obama administration attempted to do this towards the end of this, his second term without securing the conditions in Europe that would have allowed them to do it. They just simply withdrew. 2013, we withdrew our last tank divisions from Europe only to return very yeah. shortly, as we did in, in Iraq. They they didn't create the conditions that would allow them to successfully pivot to Asia because the threat environment just didn't allow for it. If that threat environment did, does, ceases to exist, a lot of great things happen for American national security. 
Yeah. And of course, the ultimate, which is the geopolitical thing, which is don't do it. Don't test us. Maybe you look at this granularly the way we are and the way Fred Kagan has and say, we've been we've been backing into fighting this war with the Ukrainians. We say no, then we say yes. We say no about this. We say no about the HIMARS. We say no about the tanks. And then eventually we say yes, and maybe we'll eventually say yes about the aircraft. So we're looking at it and saying, boy, the Chinese are looking at this and thinking that we're not serious. But you could also say the Chinese are looking at this and saying, you know what happened? It's been a year. The West's commitment is getting more serious, not less. And they have taken the, you know, one of the world's largest and supposedly most advanced armies, and it has been reduced to rubble by its own bad behavior, by its own. Chinese have no reason to believe that their own military is any more effective than the than the they haven't been tested. They haven't they haven't fought. They haven't they haven't had a war. They haven't had a ground war since 1969, I believe, which is the last time, you know, they actually had a border war with China, with Russia, India, India. Right. Okay. so but we have not. This is the key thing is to say, don't go into don't create the ultimate uncertainty like you want to go into taiwan look when when russia went into ukraine we didn't stand for it don't you start getting expansionist the best thing that we can do to prevent the worst kind of trouble that we could see in the 21st century in asia is to win in ukraine that will be the deterrent for chinese adventurism let alone being freed up, as you said, Noah, to move away from the Russian front and pivot toward the idea that we are going to have a military posture that is openly saying that the main adversary we have is in the South China Sea and is China. I mean, it's a fool's errand to try to appease these people because I don't think they're being honest. I think what they see, they see this conflict through a domestic lens. They see all the people they don't like support it. And so the they people is here, the NATO. Cons you're talking about here, what, right? What, Net, well, the, 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 it's, this yeah. is a bad. Uh, this is a bad category because yeah. they're not all conservative. <laughs> no, no, I know. Really conservative. Yeah. A lot of them are attracted to it from a progressive, yeah, uh, posture. Right. But yes, nationalist is the label I'm using. Well, the progressives aren't nationalist, of course. They're just they're pacifistic or they're the nationalists are nationalists either. Yeah. Well, okay, sure. fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. But, but they but claim the mantle, yeah, yeah. Yeah. right? Right. Um. Some. Some. Yeah. They're nationalist uh, with a little bit of socialist sprinkled in there. Yeah. Okay. I want to end with a with a with a slight apology to people. I just I'll just give an example. Uh, somebody emailed. I had said on Wednesday. I said actually this was in an ad for for Dan Seymour's Call Me Back podcast that Mike Gallagher, representative of Wisconsin, had voted for impeachment. He did not vote for impeachment. He did, however, on January sixth, say stop with this nonsense about how. Biden can overturn the results of the election, and no, you have something to add. I'm sorry, I'm, I, I, we got we got news on the balloon. Oh, what? Oh, okay, sorry. China has spoken. They say that this is a civilian airship used for research, and it just kind of blew off course. Hmm. I've never seen a civilian airship with the Hindenburg solar panels that you would attach <laughs> to a satellite. So they're going with the oopsie daisy. It's you don't want no civilians don't go up in high altitude air balloons. <laughs> Sorry, that doesn't happen. 
civilian. Re well, what are they researching over the? Oh, so they're saying they were using it to research over China and it's a weather balloon. It's a weather balloon. Mm -hmm. Oopsie daisy. The uh -huh. oopsie daisy. Okay. Okay. Well, just to finish <laughs> the point that I was going to make on the on the balloon and the Hindenburg and whatever. Uh, so Mike Gallagher, I said that he had, you know, that he had been part of impeachment. He wasn't, though he did, though he did. Uh, okay. Point I wanted to make is get email, get emails a lot. We talk a lot. We talk five hours a week on this podcast uh, and um, we get things wrong. And I, I acknowledge that we get things wrong and I want to make sure that people understand. I'm not going to sort of spend five minutes a day going through what it is that I, what factoid <clears throat> I misspoke about or something like that. Just to say, <clears throat> Check your sources. If you hear something from me on this podcast, including about Larry Storch and Agarn and F Troop and Channel 11, before you write anything definitive about what's going on, don't don't take me as what we used to call a red check at uh, at Time Magazine, like the the unimpeachable source of material and information. Five hours a week is a long time to talk uh, about things and get things wrong, or I you know, confuse two things for one thing. I try to sound as unauthoritative as I can on a lot of these matters. And I think I do say like, I can't really remember or something like that. But um, cause I don't want to bore people by correct, by doing, you know, like a series of career. This is not a magazine. It's just a informal conversation. Um, but I am sorry when I get things off and it's usually, and you know, it's obviously always um, out of, um, ingenuousness like i'm not you know trying to intentionally dis distort anything um so with that have a wonderful weekend uh it's going to be freezing so stay inside i'm already having anxiety about my dog and taking the dog out in 12 degree weather with a you know 50 degree mile an hour winds uh so that's what i get for getting a dog uh Christine, you have to walk the no, you you have you have a dog. You can like just send the dog out into the yard, right? That's right. I have to walk mm -hmm. mine because I'm a city dweller too. Yeah. yeah. Dogs are the best. It's worth every minute of of That's true. Inconvenience. That's true. Except except for yeah. Well, if they'll <laughs> We're Noah. Noah's had Noah's had uh dogs had things you do issues. to keep your wife happy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or your kids, yeah. Uh my kids i just want to make the point that my kids do not i do tell my kids no and they haven't had a tantrum like aoc and rashida talib had on the floor of the house <clears throat> i mean i'm i'm thinking of other people other than my own my own kids who are wonderful kids have a great weekend for abe no and christine i'm john Horitz. keep the candle burning <laughs>